Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. idea of completeness in Christ. So we're, we're going to do a 10-week series, this is number two, on the core beliefs and values of really just, I think it's gospel, but it's, it's tailored to what this church is about. Uh, those of you that have been through the Welcome to the Family e-course online, you, you would have already seen this, not as expanded as I'm going to. So this one is on Jesus is Enough. So I've just been thinking about all week about Jesus is enough. And there are so many different areas. Like today I'm going to touch on for forgiveness, for righteousness, for acceptance, in ministry. Those are the four areas that I'm going to cover. But further down when I talk about the gifts and, you know, some of the supernatural stuff that we stand on here, I'll talk more about gifts specifically. But this week I was just thinking about, you know, people, believers need to know that with God, you are as complete as He needs you to be. Come on. Because you're in spirit with Him. And when I say in spirit, I don't mean some hidden mystical dimension that you're like part of your being is over off some other place. To be in spirit means to be in life. Now, there is an unseen element of God, right? We can't boil everything down to our understanding. There, there is that invisible dimension. Personally, I think it's just further along the spectrum of life than we are here. Yeah. You know, like the infrared is higher. You can't, your human eye can't see infrared, and there are certain frequencies that you can't hear. The humans can, you know, the humans. The humans can see a certain section of the light spectrum and hear a certain section of the sound spectrum. Well, I think we can only consciously understand and interact with a certain spectrum of the life spectrum. And heaven is not detached from where we are. It's just a higher place than this life that we're, we're experiencing, a little section of life. And God is over here at the highest level that you can possibly experience of life. And you have to be changed so that you can slide down that spectrum and, and resonate in that frequency, so to speak. You know what I mean? To be able to tune to that where he is along that life spectrum, you got to shed death. Ultimately, you're going to have to shed your mortal body. Who's looking forward to that? No more pain. So much has been robbed from the believer, making you feel like God has opened the door to heaven with Jesus. And he's standing there inviting you in. And the more holy you behave and the more miracles you can perform and the less you engage in sin, the closer you get to that door, right? Or the closer you get to this place of holiness in Christ. And what's really actually true of you is this. When you say yes to Jesus, you are inhabited by the life of God. You were dead in your sin, cut off from God, not able to live with him in that eternal state of life. But when you say yes to him, you get a new life source. You get a new inner man, a new inner being, a new heart. And from then on, 
you are directly fed from the highest realm of life in God, in your inner man. You are reconnected. It's like, you, it's like the power gets plugged in. Now, it's up to you if you turn that power on in your mouth, in your thinking, in your steps, in your choices. And I'm referring to the baptism of the Spirit because it's preached predominantly in charismatic Christianity that you get saved, then you need the baptism of the Spirit, and when you get the baptism of the Spirit, that the, evident, the evidence of that is you start praying in tongues. Well, the fact that you have the Spirit, the evidence that you have the Spirit is that you've said yes to Jesus. That's it. You say yes to Jesus, boom. And then, I've, and then some people say, yeah, but it was 40 years later that I got the baptism of the Spirit. It's like, well, why'd you wait so long to yield to what was already in you? Because when you actually press people on the idea of, did you get the Spirit when you got born again? Or did you get the Spirit when you started praying in tongues or yielded to whatever? The, and it's like, we make such a big deal of tongues being the evidence of the baptism of the Spirit. But it says of Peter and Stephen, they were full of the Holy Ghost or filled with the Holy Ghost, which is used in, you know, almost exchange baptism of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Well, when Peter stands up and he starts prophesying, it says, full of the Holy Spirit. Did he get the Spirit then? When he started, did, did Stephen only get the Spirit right when he's being stoned? Because it says of Stephen, Stephen is a guy, an early apostle in the church that gets caught and arrested. And you've got Saul who later becomes Paul, standing over him, watching, approving of his execution by stones. And, Peter, and Stephen looks up and sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And, and Stephen declares what he sees. And it's, they, they sow the Pharisees, the, the people that were supposed to be able to usher in the Messiah, were so enraged that they actually started biting him. I mean, can you imagine being so angry at Donald that we all start throwing rocks at him? And you get so angry, you start biting him. You got to die now. I mean, I just like to kind of bring to life some of these pictures, you know what I mean? Because it's not like we read the Bible with these rose-colored glasses on and we miss some of what's... Well, so in that moment, Donald looks up and full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says... He declares what he sees in the heavens. Did Donald get the Spirit then? No. Or was he yielded to the influence of the Spirit that was already within him then? Now, again, I will go through that in a little bit more detail because there's one anointing, and it is Christ in you, and you yield to that anointing, and then it is God who chooses to work out of that same Spirit, that same reservoir or anointing. God will choose to call you into you know, the office of a prophet or a teacher or lead you into helps ministry or deacon. We don't have deacons. We, we have, anyway. You, you see what I'm saying? The same spirit that works all in all is in you in fullness, in completeness. There's not one thing that you lack from God. Not one thing. There's nobody that's more holy than you. They might behave more holy than you, because they are more yielded to the Spirit than you in that area. So if there's anyone that is more spiritual, 
It's the person that is yielded to the Spirit more, but you have the exact same Spirit. Amen. So you have to know this. Because most believers are sitting there wondering, well, what, am I, what does God want from me? What am I supposed to do? Am I, am I, I wrote some questions. Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? You ever felt that way? Yeah. Am I doing enough? And there's a whole lot of thinking that goes into that idea. Am I doing enough? Or have I done too much wrong? I'm telling people question their salvation every day because they look at their behavior. Have I done too much wrong? I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And then am I good enough? You ever wondered that? Am I good enough? Am I good enough for heaven? Am I good enough? Now, we all know the answer. No, Jesus was good enough for me. And you get an A-plus for that answer. Well done. However, in your life, when you are praying and you're, you're dealing with a life-or-death situation, you are dealing with the darkest depression that could possibly be experienced by a human. You're dealing with insurmountable debt or unsurmountable. Is that right? Unsurmountable debt. Everybody's looking around. <laughs> more debt than you know what to do with than you think you'll ever be free from you know, you know what I mean and you pray usually you're going to evaluate what kind of person you think you are when you start praying through a situation like that don't you are you with me yep. yeah. when the rubber meets the road and life happens and you need to experience what God has given you in Christ, you go through this self-evaluation process, and it's usually based on your performance. You do it. We do it all the time. What we must do in that situation is understand, yes, my behavior is important. Yes, I might have some things that I need to change and clean up and repent from and seek ministry on whatever it is for me to experience, but I start from the place of completeness in Christ. Jesus is enough is what we're talking about. You know, we have this just kind of journey that we call it to go from believer to disciple to servant to leader. And it's not like you can't be a leader without being a servant. You know what I mean? It's not like a progression. You've got to be one before you're the other. However... I do think that there's a major process from going believer to disciple. A disciple is someone, you know, a believer comes in and says, I believe this stuff, I'm going to heaven, you know, hold my beer. Because I got some life to do, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm good, I'm, I'm good. But the disciple says, all right, I'm thankful that I'm saved, I'm thankful that Righteousness is a free gift because I have said yes to Jesus. However, I want my life to be different. I want to walk in the holiness and the righteousness that God has given me. I want to fulfill my call. I want to touch my city. I want my family to know God. You know what I mean? A disciple says those kinds of things. And a disciple then disciplines themselves first. You know, discipleship is not when you show up for a class on Wednesday night and you take notes. That is a tool that could facilitate discipleship, but discipleship is when you discipline yourself or you allow the Holy Spirit to discipline you, which happens this way 
is he reminds you of what the truth already is, who you are in him. That's discipline. God disciplines you with his word and with his spirit in your inner man so that you connect with who you already are. Then he will start talking to you about what's going on outside. He's like, all right, look, this is who you are. Like Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery that they tried to kill. He's like, all right, I don't condemn you. You're free. You are God. You got to, I mean, get this, God in the flesh, the one who could have said, done, you're dead. You deserve death under the law. That was her sentence. That should have been her sentence. But God, standing in front of this woman who was caught in adultery, drug in front of the church, they say, what are you going to do? He says, look, those among you without sin cast the first stone. So he deals with the accusation. That's what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. He has cleared the slate of accusation against you. Just had, she was just caught in adultery. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> there's kids in the room. I don't want to go too deep into that, but think about that for a minute. Just caught in the act of adultery. It wasn't like she had time to repent or a year had passed. I mean, in the act, brought to this place. He clears the slate of accusation. Then he looks at her. Who's condemning you? She's like, uh, nobody? He's like, that's right. I don't condemn you either. God. Are you, are you with me? I want to make sure you see this point because this is you standing in front of God. When you start to live your life and you're standing there wondering, he looks at you and he says, look, you deserve death. I took care of that in Christ. However, you're not condemned. Then he does say, now go and sin no more. He clears the accusation. He doesn't condemn you personally. He shows you acceptance personally. Then he deals with your behavior. We do, church does it, the, uh, Christianity does it backwards, <laughs> predominantly. Let me start with your behavior. Then once you get your behavior cleaned up, then we'll deal with you got to repent in order to be forgiven. Then, now you're righteous. It's backwards. Jesus is enough. It's, it's carnal. I mean, there's a lot of control in it, but it's, what, it's, it's a misunderstanding of what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. Unfortunately, it is used to control, but it's a, it's, a mis, it's, it's a misunderstanding. So you starting your day, you got to wake up and you got to know. I, now, this doesn't mean that anything that you do is not going to affect you. So therefore, you can just tread on into that behavior that's bringing death into your life. That, that's just not, that's not godly. No, I mean, no honest person that gets a hold of this message in their mind, actually says, there's my license to sin. Been looking for that thing, you know. So I want to run through a lot of scripture here, but I wanted to give you a lot to think about to show you just how much, how sufficient Jesus is, right? The old covenant Levitical priesthood had a sacrificial system that was designed to prepare the hearts and the minds for people to receive the Messiah and what he was to do for them. 
you know, I've gone through it a ton. Like I said, there, because there's so much meat in this, I'm only going to focus on a couple of things. Um, we have made all of the, our, our past teaching sets accessible. If you go to forwardministries.org and you go to the teaching page, I would recommend go listen to Exchanging Natures with Jesus. It was a series that I preached in Canada, but I took the time to just go through this whole process of the, the, the atonement sacrifice and the scapegoat and the other goat and what it has done to you inwardly. You know, so if you want some more listening, go listen to Exchanging Natures with Jesus. It, to me, it was one of my favorite things to preach. But today I want to focus on a couple of these to, just to, so, to leave you with understanding Jesus is enough. You know, that's the thing. Walk out of here with, think, of the, think about the Jesus is enough. First off, he's enough for you to be forgiven. Colossians 1, we're going to look at 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See, we read these kinds of things and we think, oh, that sounds really cool. But for you to be qualified to share in the inheritance of a saint in light. Now, in light means in heaven, in that eternal dimension, in that highest place that you can possibly get, in light, where God dwells. God is light. The inheritance of those that have received the reward of heaven. God has qualified, God has qualified you to partake in that. Now, this is a review for some, but, you know, let this be a meditative exercise where you get this picture in your heart and your mind. If you come to church to learn information and then you learn all you learn and then you move on to the next one, you're kind of missing the point. It's not about information. It's about you getting this stuff in your heart and in your mind and you getting a new picture of who you are and letting that bear fruit in your life so that you experience transformation. Amen? Amen? What I'm after for you is transformation. So I pray that you do something with this in your heart. I pray that you, you, you let God work these things within you. And it's different for everybody, but... but uh, Christianity, without some sense of meditation in the process, it's just information. We may as well just be, you know, something. Some religion about meditation, I don't know, or information. Verse 13, he has delivered you. Say has. has. Delivered us from the domain of darkness and translated or transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son or dear son. Say, I have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of Jesus. See, imagine that life spectrum. Now, you pretty much exist. Let's, let's say that the front of this stage is that life spectrum and the highest facet of that life spectrum is God down there on his throne. And here is separation from God and utter darkness. And you're somewhere here in the middle living in this flesh body, connected to this life source. However, anything in this darkness, it can't touch you. 
Now, you might let it touch you because you look over there and you're like, hey, that looks pretty good. I think I might want some of that darkness in my life. Now, you don't do that consciously, but you let the world touch you, touch you and then you start thinking along. Now, real things might happen to you. You know, injustices, real difficult, challenging things might happen to you from this dark realm, from this dark place. But it's up to you where you are in life to look toward, look, set your eyes on things above where God is seated on the throne. Look to him and get your mind in agreement with where he is because that is your ultimate reality. That is your truth. Your role is to make it your reality. And there's a difference between truth and reality. What's true of you is you are seated. You are hidden with Christ in God. But it might feel more real to you that you're sitting in hell. Come on. But you got a choice. Which one are you going to do? See, do you actually believe that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind? Because what you do is you sit in this place and you look toward what's true of God and recognize that it actually is true in you. It's the deepest part of what and who you are. And the fact that you let that truth become real to you in your mind and in your heart, you will experience transformation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's the process? Or are you still trying to run around and mysticize something in this carnal world to make it where you experience heaven? He has delivered us from the power or the domain of darkness. And we're not just talking about demons. That is like the least of what he's talking about. He does address that a little bit further down. But the darkness that you've been delivered from is your own darkness, death, your own thought processes that lead you to depression, your own choices that lead you to that repetitive sin habit. You have, that has no power over you. You are not under sin, you're under grace. The power of the living God is the authority over you. And bring yourself into that agreement in your mind and in your heart so that you actually live in that kingdom. Am I being, am I being too serious? This, the, the, you know, there's a lot of response. People hear this kind of message and they're like... I'm going to go back to the Baptist church. It was easier over there. I just, <laughs> I just repent every week, and, you know, I know that I'm going to... I'm... I've had people say, it's like, man, I wish I didn't know this. Really? Yeah, I've had people say, I wish I didn't know this. It was easier when I didn't know this. Don't let yourself think that, I'm telling you. If you think that, you, you're missing what grace really is. I mean, this reformed theological thinking that says every person is depraved, and even when you, God chooses to save you, you're still depraved, that's demonic because it give, that gives you a license to sin. It tells you. You've got an excuse for your sin. You're depraved. You are a sinner. God winks and says you're saved by grace, but you're still a sinner. That, that, is, that is a lie. I mean, that is a huge lie in the doctrine of Christianity. 
And that's a big one. I get in trouble over that when people get mad. I'm telling you, you'd be surprised. These people that tout themselves as Bible scholars that know the Bible because, you know, that Holy Spirit stuff stopped 2,000 years ago get really upset when you start talking about that you are actually righteous now. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Your forgiveness of sin is in your redemption. Amen? Amen. Your forgiveness of sin is not in your repetitive repentance, going to God and asking for more forgiveness. God has forgiven you in Christ completely. God has, just like he, Jesus did with the woman at the door, he cleared the slate of accusation. He did not hold her sin against her. Then he challenged her to not continue in that sin. That is how God deals with sin every time. He didn't say, do you repent? <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not sure if I believe you. He didn't say, do you repent? I repent. Okay, here you're forgiven. He said, look, I'm not condemning you. He expressed forgiveness. He had the authority to forgive her sin, and he demonstrated it first. And then he dealt with the behavior. I'm pounding. I'm, I'm like hitting this thing today. I, I just, I'm telling you, this is more for just us. Huh? I, I know. <laughs> Can you hurt yourself when you're under there? No. Nope. <laughs> to be forgiven is in your redemption. So why do you confess your sin? Well, confess means to say the same thing. So you say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. First, it's got no power over me because I'm under grace. It's not being held against me. But then you also confess about your sin. This is killing me. I don't want this anymore. God, help. I need some grace. Not forgiveness, but power to overcome it. So forgiveness, and then you are complete in him. Jesus is enough for righteousness. Romans 3, let's look at it. Again, you know, I'm going to go ahead and kind of read through the rest of these scriptures here just to get the thinking in your mind. And, and most of you know this intellectually, and I pray that it's actually becoming a reality in your life. But this, you guys are equipped. You guys are full of this message, and the people around you need to hear this stuff. That is what we are to be doing, is making disciples. We are disciples that are first and foremost letting God discipline us with his truth in our identity. We're going to discipline our lifestyles so, they, so that we are not treading underfoot this salvation that he's given us because we value it. And then we're going to go into the world and help people understand these concepts. Amen? Amen. I hope that's what happens. Romans 3.21. I'm going to read that one because I'm not sure which translation I have here. But now the righteousness of God Apart from the law, Ugh. you would 
How can I say this? I mean, just, just that, think about all the sermons that you've heard on righteousness. And I'm not, I'm really not trying to say we got it all figured out, we're right, everybody else is right. It's not about that. I'm just reading the scripture, and I'm thinking about what people are told about righteousness. There, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law. Does that mean we shouldn't keep the law? No. Does that mean I can, can you know, it's, it's weird where people go when they hear something like, I'm, and we're just reading the scripture. It's almost like you let the horse out of the gate when you read something like this and religion runs with, am I the only one feeling that? The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So in other words, everything from God testifies that there is a righteousness apart from the law. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. Do you have faith in Christ? Yes. Some of y'all are going to hell today, but... <laughs> no, everybody should have said yes, I mean. I said, Did you, do you have faith in God? Because she's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> this is like your third time, you got to realize. I, just, I distract myself with weird jokes. So. <laughs> do you believe in Christ? Yes. Okay. Yes. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely. Justification doesn't come from spending two years knocking on doors. It doesn't come when you finally figure out how to quit sinning. It's freely given. You know, I mean, think about it. Jesus sets this woman free, and he says, now go sin no more. Did he go follow her around and make sure she didn't go back into adultery? No. I mean, he might have. We don't know, but I doubt it. Yeah, better things to do. <laughs> Being freely justified by his grace through the redemption that is in, redemption is in Christ. Jesus is enough for your righteousness, for your redemption. Next verse. Whom God has set forth a propitiation. Now, a propitiation is, is a sacrifice that absorbs wrath to satisfy anger. God was angry towards sin, so Jesus was the propitiation, the sacrifice to receive God's wrath towards sin. There's a lot of weird teachings about that right now, like God didn't actually have wrath to put on Jesus, that Jesus absorbed the wrath in the world. And it's like, no, God was angry with the wicked every day. However, now he's not. Why? Because Jesus was the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath toward mankind, toward sin, really toward the sin in mankind. By his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Your justification is in Jesus. What does that make you want to do? To know that you are freely justified? Like if you were to go to court and God were to bring up your list of sin... And he says, oh, 
been paid for. You're free to go. What would you do? Colossians 1, we're going to pick up where we left off here. What he does here in Colossians, Colossians is like my favorite book. But what he does here, what he's about to do, is he builds the pick. First he says, you're qualified to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. And then he goes through like what would be called in uh, theology, Christology, or the study of Christ. Who is Christ? What is Christ? You know, let's study Christ. This is a master class on who Christ is. Now, if you read it, see, because we get caught up on these different things and we wonder, you know, we, we segment it because it's been split into books and split into verses and we miss the congruency of what's happening here. But he says, you're qualified in him. Let me tell you who Jesus is and then let me remind you again that you're in him. So he paint, really, when he's painting this picture of who Christ is, you have to take it personally because you're in him. So he paints Jesus as the all-sufficient one, the supreme being, and then, he, and then he shows you how you're in him. Do you see that? I mean, and it's so important for you to understand Jesus is your sufficiency. He is enough, and you are enough in him. So here we go. Colossians 1, 15, and we're going to read kind of a big chunk here. He is the image of the invisible God. So he, it's like he's given Jesus' credentials to, to uh, validate you. Well, what if you went to a job, right? Uh, Ryan's a pilot. Ryan, raise your hand. Ryan's a pilot. Let's say you went to Delta. You went to Delta. You've never, maybe you've never even stepped on an airplane. You went for a job interview. Like, I'm here to fly the planes. You ever <laughs> flown a plane? Nope, never flown a plane. But I got Ryan with me. He flies planes. All right, good. Take off. You know what I'm saying? His qualifications got you the job, and you start flying the plane. I ain't getting on that plane, but it's as ridiculous or scandalous for, you, for, for the credentials of Jesus to validate you. Do you see that? Did that make sense to you? Who Jesus is validates you before God because he designed it for you to enter into his own presence through Jesus' credentials. I mean, how powerful. Now, as you enter in, he does a deep, serious cleanse so that you can be in that place eternally, you know what I mean? But you still have this flesh body that you got to deal with and let it be touched by the deep cleansing work that he's done when you enter Christ. You know, it's almost as if you stepped into that cockpit and when you step into that cockpit to fly that airplane, everything Ryan knows just goes into you. Sarah, you, Sarah used to have, you ever seen Neo? Uh, or I mean, uh, the Matrix? All roads lead back to the Matrix, right? Yeah. So the one, when they're plugged back into the Matrix, which if you haven't, who has not seen the Matrix? Oh, man. All right. Let me, let's just say this. There's a, there's a computer program that people's minds are plugged into, and they think that's the real world. And there are people that have been set free from the computer program 
but plug themselves back into the program to go set other people free from the program. Right? So it's like hooking your brain up to a computer going into that world and bringing people out so they can be in the real world. So in that computer world, when they need to like fly a helicopter or they need to know something, they call back to outside the matrix. And it's like, hey, I need to fly it, blah, 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 blah. And brrr, they download how to fly it, and then now you know how to fly it. You know, that, that's like what's happened. We get the mind of Christ. You get the heart of God. And you're equipped and fully empowered and accepted by God to now live this life. You can fly that plane into the ground if you want to. You know, you forget your training. You forget what's happened to you. You forget who you really are. I did a series on that not too long ago about, you know, when you're not displaying all the godly characteristics that God expects of you, it's because you have forgotten you're forgiven. What Christianity is, is a pursuit to just acknowledge everything that God has done in you through Christ, not try to gain and earn and live up to something. So the credentials of Jesus validate you. Let's go back to this Colossians 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or anything. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him consists all things. Are you getting the picture here? Jesus' credentials validate you. And he is the head of the body, he, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. I mean, Jesus is powerful. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you. All right, now that we understand who Jesus is, and you, say, and me. And me. Were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now has he reconciled. Say, I'm reconciled. I'm, reconciled. I'm, justified. I'm justified. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Because Jesus is enough. Because Jesus is enough. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. This is, I, I see this picture so much. Jesus comes up out of the grave with his own blood. He enters into the heavenly holy of holies. He sprinkles it on the altar before the Father. He casts Satan out of heaven. No longer does the enemy have access to the throne of God. And then he turns to the world and he says, all right, who wants it? And then you say, I do. And it's like he picks you up and he carries you into that heavenly holy of holies down here to the throne of God. And he brings you in and he says, I'm presenting this one holy. Come on. You are in the arms of Jesus being presented to God as holy and blameless and above reproach or unblameable, another translation. In this place, nothing sticks to you. You're like Trump on Twitter. It just don't stick. <laughs> no matter how bad you mess it up, it ain't sticking. The world is going to try. 
I mean, seriously. Does that mean it's okay to continue in sin? No. Does it make you want to? No. It's weird to even think about sin when you're standing here laying in, standing here laying in the arms of Jesus, right? Yeah. Before the fall, I mean, the sin's the last thing on your mind. You don't even remember. It's not even who you are. It's dead and gone. Amen. Next verse. Now, if there is a condition to your salvation, it's this that you stay in faith. We'll give it that. Can you lose your salvation? Well, I don't know. This says continue in the faith. So all of that's true of you if you stay in the faith. I'm staying in the faith. How about you? Amen. Grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard. Well, I want to go into the deeper stuff. Well, I'm going to stick with the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. Whoa, wait a minute. Okay, I'm just going to keep on going on that. No. Of which I, Paul, became a minister. Wow. Jesus' credentials validate you. Colossians 2, verse 9. Are you enjoying it? Are you seeing? I mean, because see, here's the thing. People, and, and I, I was talking to somebody, and, and it's like I, got, I get these emails, right? And I love responding to people because God gives me just some very clear things to give to people in Colorado or all over the world, really. I get these emails. And there was one that came in recently, and it was like this whole list of all the things that this person had been through. And what, what drops into my heart is focus on Jesus. And then I get the email back. Well, I've tried that. And it's like, okay, I hear you. However, you're focusing on Jesus for about two seconds, and then you're looking at all your stuff again. Forget about yourself. Forget about your life, your world, your problems. Can you just look at Jesus? Yeah, but when I do that, I, I start thinking what he can do for me. Or I start thinking about my life. and that, You know what I mean? Just, it's like, just get this, these passages here. Now, I'm going to give you some homework. Will you do this homework this week? Don't say yes if you're not going to do it. Colossians 2, what we just read. Or Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Read that. And just think about Jesus, because here's what happens. The more of a clear picture you have of who Jesus really is, the more it will transform you. Well, I've got this area. I need to, it's like, all right, what does Jesus look like? If you can look at Jesus and experience his preeminence, his power, if you can look at him and see him in that place of authority, I mean, what does sin look like next to Jesus? What does poverty look like next to Jesus? Get that picture first before you ever even try to get it for yourself. Are you with me? Whatever it is that you're dealing with, see Jesus in his power, in his preeminence, in his domain, in his authority, and then look at what it looks like for next to him. And then trust that the Holy Spirit will help you understand how that works out into your life. You know what I mean? It's not a magic formula. Just look at Jesus. Trust him. Believe who he is. Amen? Uh, Colossians 2. And I know I'm going long. Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything is in him. There's nothing out there that's not in him of God. And you are complete in him. If you get nothing out of today, get Colossians 2.10. Say, I'm complete in him. I'm complete in him. Who is the head of all principality and power. 
In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And this is talking about that this is where you get that new heart. God performs that circumcision on you, takes out that dead body, that inner man that was dead and cut off from God and gives you a new heart. All those prophecies about what would happen to a believer under this new covenant. Buried with him in baptism, in which in, in baptism doesn't mean water baptism. It means you're baptized into him. This is the baptism that it's talking about, into him. Water baptism is a ceremony that represents your baptism into him. In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now this phrase, raised, you were raised with him, doesn't mean you were resurrected. It's not talking about in the future when there's the resurrection. It's talking about in the place of authority. Remember the list? Raised with him. Raised is a, is, is a throwback to what he just talked about, about the position of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. Are you following me? This is important to get. He paints a picture of how high Jesus is, preeminent, above all things. And then he says, you have been raised with that level of preeminence that I just described Jesus. You have been raised to that level. What? That's blasphemy. I'm not God. Well, I didn't say you were God. All I'm saying is you were raised to the same level that Jesus is. Does it not say that? Yes. It paints this picture of Jesus. High as high can get. And then he says, you've been raised too, with him. What does that do for you? What does that mean to you? How does that then translate and affect your life? What do you, where do you go with that? Well, that's some really good information. I'm raised with Christ. I'm as high as Jesus is in the position of authority above all things. Okay, well, so when you go to work tomorrow, what are you going to do with that? I'm talking to myself, too. I mean, you know, this is the process. This is, this is how you renew your mind to experience transformation. This is true of you. You are in that place. But when you focus on, do you feel, do you feel a sense of empowerment? Maybe a sense of worth and dignity of like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm better than I thought I was. who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together. Say, I'm alive with Christ. Alive. Having forgiven all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, the law, which was contrary to us and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. He fulfilled the law having disarmed principalities and powers. Remember, he started, you're delivered from the power of darkness. This is one way that you're delivered. He disarmed them. The enemy comes. He's like, I'm here to fight. Where's your weapon? I don't have one. But I'm going to lie to you, and you might be dumb enough to believe me. That's about all he's got. He made a public spectacle of them. And Psalms is so... You go into Psalm and you read about those prophetic passages of David prophesying what the Messiah would have experienced in the grave, and you see him declaring what happened. It's incredible. He made a public spectacle of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I don't know how far we're going. 
There we go. That's enough, apparently. <laughs> two, two more, just two more verses. Colossians 3. And in this, you see that it's a foregone conclusion that you share the authority of Christ. Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised. Just go ahead and assume that you have. Since then you have been raised. Set your heart. Now see, here's what you do with it. All right, well, that's great information. What do I do? Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So all of this knowledge and this information and this, and, and this elevating of my understanding of who and what kind of being I am, what do I do with it? Set your mind and heart on him. Amen. Every day. Right now in this, just take a second. Set your mind and heart on him. Forget about yourself. Forget about the world. That thing that you are trying to look to the world to ask it to define you, don't look at it. Set your mind and heart on Him. Because you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is no more powerful method of mind renewal than setting your heart and mind on Christ. Counseling is a method of mind renewal. Inner healing is a method of mind renewal. A forgiveness track, you know, in other words, let me pray for you. Okay, well, I'm hindered here. Okay, well, let's forgive everybody in your family. That's a method of mind renewal. Deliverance, however it's processed, is a method of mind renewal. They're all methods for one thing, and that is to get your heart and mind set on Christ to see him as he really is, which will then mirror into you who you really are. Well, see, what you need is you need this right here because this is going to get you there. It's like, okay, well, it's the same as this. I'm going to do it this way. You know what I'm saying? It's like, don't impose your methods on other people. I mean, you can tell them about them, but if they want them, let them. Your method might not be for everybody. There's one goal, that you experience transformation in Christ. Y'all good with that? Last scripture. Second Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Jesus is enough. He's enough for your acceptance. He's enough for your forgiveness. He's enough for your righteousness. And he's enough for you as a minister. Second Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. You're not a prophet minister, a deliverance minister, a preacher, teacher, pastor, evangelist minister. You're a minister of the new covenant. You might function in an office. You might use the gifts. You might be a baby whisperer. She's all right back there. See, she just needs some attention. She got some attention. She's She's good. <laughs> who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not, that the, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. Along this 
continuum of life that you are in. And you have been rescued from darkness. You are no longer trending toward death. You are growing toward life. It's already in you. It's, it's, like, you know, it's like you're here, but you've got a direct inner line to that, to as far as you're ever going to get in God, and it's drawing you. It's pulling you. Just set your mind and heart toward him and let him build things within you that you're trying to do on your own. It's just how it happens. Well, how do I do it? How do I make it? How do I grow? How do I do Set your mind and heart on things above. You're transformed by that. See, we think it's not that difficult to understand doctrine in Scripture if you understand the concepts first. And then you realize conceptually this is saying the same thing here, 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 and here, and here, and here. All this is talking about is you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it is up to you to engage in some type of mind renewal process if you want transformation. Well, I don't understand how it happens. How can just sitting and meditating on God change things? Well, I don't know either. But that's what he says to do. What I know is that it changes you. And then you change your reality. You know, you don't need an external move of God. You need something changed within you, and then you see that thing differently, and you come at it from a different angle. Or you have a power that you didn't have before because you see this aspect of Jesus, and now you're like, well, that, why did I let that bother me so much? Those are the kinds of mirror I want. Arms growing out, tumors falling off. All that. I want that. We should see more of that. But I want deep inner heart miracles. I want your life transformed. I want your mind, you know, like I'm thinking of Chris over there. He goes, done. He's done. Hadn't had a drop. Eight months yesterday. Clean. And, I mean, as far as I know, hadn't even been a struggle. Almost a year for you, isn't it? I don't know. Oh, (laughs) she's like... That's that's what I'm after. I want you to sit here and listen to this stuff and think, oh, my goodness, it could be so much better for me. I am going to trust who Christ is in my life. But here's the thing. Go ahead and make the commitment that you're going to take this stuff into your life as well, into your home, into your family, into your workplace. That's the way it works. That's the way the kingdom is increased, through you. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you so much. I am barely scratching the surface of living in the the capacity that you've given me. Barely scratching the surface. And and I don't want that to create a sense of heaviness. it's, It's an invitation into a vacation with you, really, is what it is. There's so much to see. There's so much to experience in you. There's so much to live above in this earth because of who I am in you. And I am committed to seeing you in your completeness and in your sufficiency, in my heart and in my mind. You are high exalted above everything, Lord God. Jesus, you are my Lord and my King and my Savior. You are the most powerful entity in existence. And I am in you.